Let's have an added word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for that promise, that promise of a message that would go down through time, would be echoed through the life of Jesus. And here we are today still reading those words, so it means we still have a message to take to the world. So guide us to see our part in this. Help us to see that Zechariah's song is a song for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About 40 years before the time of Jesus, there were some intertestamental writings that were written down. And most of those writings, as you look at the flavor of them, were anti-Rome, anti-dictatorship, trying to somehow shake off the powers of those days and, to some, and usher in the Messiah. And as I was reading through some of them one time, it, it struck me that how close they were to some of the Psalms, and yet one little bit here or there was different. In fact, there was one that was written like I've said, before, about 40 years before the time of Jesus, right after Jerusalem fell to Pompeii, and basically the people were under the control of Rome. And it's called the Psalm of Solomon. It's supposed to somehow parallel the Psalms of David, but as you read it, you find there are some huge differences. Let me read it to you. It says, Behold, O Lord, raise up for them their king, the son of David, for the time which thou didst foresee, O God, that he may reign over Israel, thy servant, and gird him with strength, that he may shatter unrighteous rulers, and they're thinking of the Gentiles who've conquered them, and purify Jerusalem of the nations which trample her down in destruction. In wisdom, in righteousness, may he expel sinners, meaning Gentiles, from the inheritance. May he smash the sinners' arrogance like a potter's vessel. That was written soon after the time that Jerusalem fell to Pompeii, and what it was meant to convey, and the rabbis repeated these types of things. This is someone from a Pharisee tradition writing this. It's not the Bible. And if you noticed it, it excludes the Gentiles, which, well, most of us here, right? So we know that it's not according to the plan of salvation, these types of sentiments. And if you compare it closely, yes, you can see within it that those were uncertain times, that there needed to be some kind of righteousness standing up, some kind of peace in the land during those uncertain times. And they expected, just like this psalm indicates, that a baby would be born that would become a ruler and in their opinion would shake off the Roman bondage. But as I read it, as I read my Bible carefully, especially Psalm chapter 2 and compare it to Psalm 22, you find there's this balance between someone coming as a ruler and yet suffering for his people. You have both of those flavors, especially in Isaiah 52 and 53, and you find they should have been reading more than just some of these other parts that they wanted to include. Because can coercion and violence, can it really deep down change the heart? I'm standing here because in my younger days, that's the way I was, and I can flat out tell you that it does not change the heart. It creates a vicious cycle, but it cannot change the heart. And so they would need something more than coercion. They would need something more than outward behavior change. And in Luke chapter 2, actually starting in chapter 1, you find two stories of miracle births, two stories of children being born. And in these stories, you would think that one would highlight the second one, right? The first one would highlight and say, now look, I'm not the Messiah, here he is. But unfortunately, we find in the gospel account, not many people are looking even after this first birth. 
And so I want to take a look at this first birth. Next week we'll be looking at the second one, the birth of Jesus. But I want to look at the birth of John. I know it seems unusual, Christmas time of the year. But I want to look at the birth of John because then it somehow can cause a renewed expectation, a renewed message within us that we can share like John to the world. And in Luke chapter 1, it says in verse 5, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But... Here's your Greek word that would automatically cause you to shift the the video over to this other part. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. A familiar story from yesteryear, definitely as you think back in the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah, barren up into their older years. And we know he's not quite uh, as old as Abraham because priests would retire roughly in their mid-50s. So here he is, he's had no children yet, he's done, it appears, everything right, And in that society, they believed that the law of God was given by the grace of God. They believed that the Torah was written and given to us by the grace of God. They believed that the blessings that we had were given by the grace of God. Don't hear me wrong. The Jews believed in the grace of God. But they also believed in some other strange beliefs as well, that somehow that grace had to be earned in some respects. And so if you look at it carefully, does he have any reason not to have children, spiritually speaking? There's no reason other than the plan of salvation. God has a plan in this. And so it's highlighting the fact that here's an individual who has done everything right, and yet God still has a plan for him in his older age. If you keep reading, it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom, because they were in there once per month by division, and now he's chosen by lot to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This is a type of language that's saying, this is going on, but meanwhile, the same exact time as the incense is going up, meanwhile, you see all these people out there kneeling down in prayer. They want their prayers to go up. And what is the prayer of Zechariah's heart that day? It's already given you a taste and saying, well, they don't have children. And as you keep reading the text, the angel makes it clear what the prayer is, at least personally, of Zechariah. Maybe he's praying for the nation as well, but he has a personal prayer request as well. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. So this angel is standing there at the right side, which in that economy, that meant there was, this is a favorable message, and yet he is overcome with fear, and then the message comes from the angel to get rid of that fear. And what's the message? You're going to have a son named John. I like names. I like looking up the meaning of names. Every time I do a memorial service or I try to uh, visit with somebody sometimes, I'll look up their name just to see what their name means. And this name is interesting. You go back to David and Jonathan's time, you find somewhat of a, of a resemblance to this in the Old Testament. And you, it means Yahweh shows grace or mercy. Here the emphasis is on mercy. Yahweh shows mercy. How did he show mercy to 
Zechariah. Here he is, done everything right, and yet he still needed God's grace, God's mercy in his life. And so he pours it out and says, this is not, you and Sarah, excuse me, you and, Zach, you and your wife have tried. You and Elizabeth have tried, just like Abraham and Sarah had. But it's by my grace that you have this child. And this child's message will be one of mercy and grace. It will point to the source of mercy and grace. You continue reading. It says, He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other ferment to drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. This is a miracle birth. And the Psalm of Solomon has it pointed out that somehow these types of individuals need to rise up and defeat their enemies. And what is this, this individual going to do? Point to God's mercy. Many of the people of Israel, he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll go before the Lord. Whoever he's proclaiming, whoever he's pointing to, that's the Lord. And he'll go forward in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Did you notice how the text differs here from what Malachi we read in the scripture reading? It has part of what we've read there in Malachi, but he's also talking about, in a prophetic way, they will, be, it will take the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. It will show us the true way of life. That's what Malachi was talking about. The very last prophecy, 400 years before this was, was ever taking place, that last prophecy echoes down, and now the angel's saying it's time for the fulfillment of that prophecy of Malachi. And so Zechariah, you would think, would uh, rejoice that the promise is being fulfilled. But as you look at it, it's almost like he's Sarah in the story of Abraham and Sarah. You know how Abraham and Sarah, you had Sarah laughing, and his name is Isaac because of that? You hear you have Elizabeth and Zechariah, and out of this story, it appears the role reverses. Here you have Zechariah not laughing, kind of like being overwhelmed with the thought, but he's not believing. And the text tells us that. He says, how can I be sure of this? And I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. So that's legitimate, I guess you can say. But here he was just praying. And the answer has been put right before him. And not only just right before him, but by an angel of God. And not just any angel. He says, my name is Gabriel. So there is something even in Zechariah that needs to have the mercy and grace of God cover it for him to have that kind of unbelief still. As a priest even. Because he's rebuked by the angel. And the angel answers, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. I was standing right at the right-hand side of the altar. It's a good, favorable message. I told you, fear not. All of this. And you still don't believe. He even points to the prophecy of Malachi. And you still don't believe. So here's somebody who even in this story needs a change in their hearts and their lives. Could it be that we could come to church Sabbath after, after Sabbath? Could it be that we could go in year in and year out knowing things about the Bible, knowing things about the Lord, and yet still have something remaining that needs God's mercy and grace to cover it? This guy did, and obviously we do as well. For as Paul said, I have not yet arrived, and he was at the end of his course. Can we say we have not yet arrived, or are you all perfect here? Oh, in the Greek, it's telos. You, you cross the telos, the finish line. 
you still have breath. There's still that potential for you to betray the Lord, to somehow sin against him or somebody else. And so we still need the Lord today. We still need his mercy today, even if we're standing up here giving this sermon. Because you do not believe, you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. So nine months is going to take place. And however long it took to conceive the child. And meanwhile, the people were waiting outside. And so there they are. And this interaction is taking place. And it's telling us that people are waiting. So something's going longer than they expected. They're out there still praying. And it's longer than just that evening and morning time that they're normally used to. And then when he comes out, they're amazed. They're wondering why he stayed in so long in the temple. When he comes out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. And when the time of his service was complete, a whole week later, he still is going into the temple. He had a week-long worth of service. All right, so you have divisions. Once a month, they would come from Jericho and other places, and they'd come over to Jerusalem, minister in the temple. But each one of those divisions had sections of time they would minister into the temple. And most believe he's still going into the temple for a whole week. Imagine this has happened to you. Imagine now you're mute. Imagine this beautiful promise has gone to you, and you are still going in there day after day doing your service for like a week. And after his week was complete, or his time was complete, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people, or has shown his grace to me. And so the name John echoes down from this encounter all the way down to the end of this chapter. John, 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 the Lord shows mercy. Yahweh shows mercy over and over again. You go on down to verse, go on down to verse 36. Elizabeth is pointed to as an example of faith. Here Mary is going to have a child from the Holy Ghost, and the angel, once again, Gabriel, points to Elizabeth and says, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. The very name of John points out the Lord is salvation. The very story points out nothing is impossible. So if you feel like at some point, I came across somebody one time who said, you don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. You don't realize the path I've been down and the things that I, I cannot ever forget deep down in the darkest nights. You, I, you don't know everything I've been through and how God, in my mind, can never forgive me. And I'd like to just give a sermon at that point, but usually you're just listening but the thought rings out from the text, then we don't know the mercy of God because nothing is impossible with God. It's never too late for God to work in our hearts and our lives. That's why the Bible says today is a day of salvation. That's why Hebrews points out that the Sabbath each week is a day of salvation for us to be uplifted to our Savior who rested in the tomb and died for us, yet he rests in the tomb and we rest in his salvation every week. So even today, especially of all days, is a day to receive this beautiful message in the Gospel of Luke. And as you notice, the time goes on. And you go on down to Luke chapter 1, verse 57. When the time was for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Just like the angel said, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. You find Mary was already over there for a period of time, probably leading up to the birth. Others in the hill country of Judea are over there to not just see this miracle, which that would be enough, but just in their culture would support her during that time. And on the eighth day, 
when they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah, which was the custom of the day, the culture of the day was you would name that firstborn son after the father, so his name would go on. And what happens? They don't go along with the custom. Elizabeth's saying, no, his name has to be John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. Some say that there were solid, huge instruments. This gigantic table would have to be moved. But here he is, this, this idea, is, this is brought over to him, and he writes down, his name is John. Three times this name has taken place in this text, and three times it still means the same thing. The Lord shows grace or mercy. And it's out of that, after he writes the name down, it says that eventually, you find him here, he's filled with joy, he begins to speak praising God, the neighbors are all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea. People were talking about all these things back then, that was news. This is amazing. And it, was, and it traveled fast, even though they had some uh, less uh, sophisticated methods of technology like we do. They had the most sophisticated, which was their voice, and they would go from place to place, and this got everywhere. Did you hear? Did you hear about Zechariah and Elizabeth and their boy John? And so imagine it filling the hill, the hill country all around. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. This was a miracle birth. It wasn't like what they expected from some would-be Messiah who would come and conquer the Romans, but it was a miracle birth nonetheless. And his name means the Lord shows mercy. And so Zechariah launches into this song, and that's why I titled the sermon Zechariah's Song, because this is really the heart of it. Can you imagine a father who's waited all, all that time to have a child, and now here his boy is. I still remember when my first son was born. The, everything leading up to it was crazy and hectic, and there was not enough nursing staff there at the night when I was there with my wife. But I still remember, finally, when it was all said and done, here comes my little boy's head. He's born into the world, and something, it does something to you when that takes place. I don't know. It's just almost like a switch in my heart. The joy, the overwhelmingness, the, am I, can I be a good father? All of this just pours onto you. Imagine here's this individual. He's over 50 years of age. He's waited for this day, and here it is. And so he launches into this song. And you can imagine him with his little baby there. I can just imagine this whole thing taking place. Him singing this song to the Lord. If it was me, I'd grab my little boy and run around the room with him and praise the Lord, you know. And his father was filled with the Holy Spirit. He prophesies, and this song is so beautiful. Mary's song is beautiful, and this song is beautiful as well. And it's filled with God's mercy. It says here, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come looking for a Messiah, looking for a ruler, looking for all kinds of answers in this world. He has come. He sent an angel. He sent this baby. This is evidence that he is here with us. He has come and has redeemed his people. Redeemed them? Well, John is there, but Jesus isn't there yet. John serves as a pledge from heaven that the next one that will be born will be the Messiah, and he will save the world. And so you have these two births that will take place in the Gospel of Luke. The first one, a pledge of something greater, the first one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And so that's why it's, he's talking about he has redeemed his people. He has raised up the strength of salvation or the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David and has said through his holy prophets long ago, Malachi and others, right? 
salvation from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and crush them, right? Shatter the enemies, shatter the Gentiles, is that what he's talking about? Keep reading. And to enable us to serve him without fear. That's a huge benefit, isn't it? To approach God from love rather than fear. Must have been some of that in Zechariah's heart. And holiness and righteousness before him all our days. To serve God all our days. So John to Zechariah is like a pledge from heaven saying, you don't have to serve me out of fear. Serve me out of love and mer- out of recognition of my love and mercy all of your days, Zechariah. Same thing comes to us today. We can still serve him as we see his love and mercy all of our days. And you, my child, he turns, imagine there's John there. Obviously, he's there if he's addressing his child. Will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy, there it is again, of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness. Who are those? Well, the Jews felt like they were living in light, so who are those? That's the Gentiles. So you find this is totally contrary to the Psalm of Solomon. Yes, there are some indications in the Old Testament that the enemies of God would be shattered, but he's not necessarily just identifying the Gentiles in that. There could be some who even claim to be Jews and who are not. You find in Revelation there's that case as well. So you find the enemies of God will be taken care of. But the ones who are sitting in darkness and who are looking for light, God will shine on them. And this psalm, or this song, is pointing to Jesus being the one who brings about that. Notice it goes from the prophet, speaking of John, to now all of a sudden he's pointing to someone. Who is he pointing to? The one who will guide us in the path of peace. In John's own words later on, he says, Look, the Lamb of God, John 1, who takes away the sins of the world. It's not me. They came looking to John. Are you the one? Are you the one? He's like, no, it's not me. And he points them to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He tells them to repent, to turn away from their sins, to turn away from their human ways of doing things. And he turns them to the way that they could access power to overcome that, to Jesus himself. That's why they came out in the wilderness to be baptized. They came out to see more than a prophet, one who was preparing the way for the Lord and pointing out the way of salvation. We can do the same, can't we? I'm not the Lord, you're not the Lord. Obviously, then, we're pointing people to the Lord. We're showing them the knowledge of salvation, the way to salvation. If they're sitting in darkness, we're showing them a light that can light their path. You've ever been out in the, in the forest on a dark night without any light? It happens to be a, a, a real bad one where you don't even see the, the, the stars very much. I mean, that's a pretty bad feeling, especially if you know you're lost. I remember years ago, there were stories about people getting lost up near Mount Hood and all this in Oregon. And I'm thinking, well, that's not, that's not ever going to happen to me. And, and there I was coming back from my baptism and with, uh, with my soon-to-be wife. And we were going for this hike, and it starts to get dark all around. And the thought came to me, I don't even have a flashlight. And I know what it's, and, and there I was raised you know, on a little cattle ranch and eventually into a little city. But... I'd been out at night. I loved being out at nighttime, but yet there was this feeling that somehow 
I wouldn't be able to get my way back to where I wanted to go. And if you've ever been out in the pitch black darkness in a forest or you're going down a path and all of a sudden everything is dark. If you don't like the night like I do, I love the night sky, then it's a pretty terrifying feeling to some people. And back then, it could be a life or death situation. And so he's saying those who are sitting in darkness will see the path of peace. It will be lighted for them. Clearly, this is the way. Walk you in it. And it says the child grew and became strong. He became the Messiah, didn't he? No. Finish the text. This is the key to understanding all texts. Read the context. Otherwise, it's a pretext. And you can read anything you can into the text with a pretext. And so we find he became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. More than likely living in the area near Hebron, which if you notice, you've got John the Baptist living near Hebron, Jesus doing his ministry in Galilee, eventually dying in Jerusalem. Doesn't that remind you of some story in the Bible where somebody began in Hebron, ended up in Jerusalem? David, right? This is pointing out this is really a beautiful plan of salvation that God had every detail organized. And so he appears publicly to Israel, preaches a message probably long after his dad lives, because if his dad was 50-some years age at that point, John's about 30 years of age when he begins his ministry. Zechariah's in his 80s, if he even lived that long. We don't know from the text. But imagine this song. Someone must have wrote it down. Someone must have remembered it. Someone must have, if they didn't write it down in our Western way of thinking, they must have repeated it over and over again to other people because here we have it in our Bibles written down today. Imagine the song going beyond Zechariah's time, beyond John the Baptist's time when he's beheaded, beyond that to here we are today, and the question is, are we still singing Zechariah's song? Are we still preparing the way for Jesus? Yes, because Jesus made it clear that the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4 was not complete in his day. He said, Elijah has come, speaking of John the Baptist, but will come. And who does he give all authority to? His church, his disciples. And who do his disciples reach? Eventually, the ripple effect gets down to us today. So we are still caring about the same message of John the Baptist. Turn to Jesus. And his name could echo in our thoughts as well. Yahweh shows mercy. So Zechariah's song is our song. And Zechariah's song pointed to John, who would point to Jesus dying on the cross as the Lamb of God, slain for each one of us. So my commitment today as I read something like this, and I was reflecting on this all week in my devotions, Murray, is there anything you need to turn to God with? That's the message that John brings. Repent, turn. And in order to turn around, it means you feel like the, next, the other path is the right way to go. Go down that path. And what did John tell them next? Be baptized. Repent and be baptized. So I have to choose to believe this story actually took place. Then I have to apply it to my life. And then I have to say, is that call still for me today? Yes. Murray, you need to turn to Jesus today. All of us, we need to turn to Jesus today. Be saved. Be baptized. And then share this with the world because the Malachi message is still echoing in our midst today. And Zechariah's song is still being echoed here today. This is the one, Jesus, who will lead you in the path of peace. Yahweh shows mercy. So today we have chosen this as a baptismal Sabbath, but I wanted to somehow link this story to the baptismal Sabbath. You could probably make the link yourself, right? 
the fact that we're reading these words, the fact that we're still baptizing people this day, is evidence that people are making commitments to this Jesus that we're reading about. This one that John prepared the way for. This one that Zechariah sang about. The song is still being heard. It's still touching hearts. And it's still leading people to a commitment to Jesus. I'm standing here because I made that commitment to Jesus. And so, yes, we need a ruler to come, but not the kind that that Psalm of Solomon was talking about because the rulers in this world are looking for that still. I was sitting at a North State Pastors Fellowship meeting, and they invited us to come to this special rally where they were going to talk about the sanctity of life. They had a a political figure there. They had some high-ranking church people there, a huge crowd there, and they began to talk about how we need a Moses figure to stand up in our country this day. And lo and behold, guess who's coming to the country not too long after that? That was when the Vatican was planning a trip here. And I'm thinking to myself, we don't need that. We need Jesus. We need him to come. We need to unite together and share a message that, yes, he was born. Yes, he died. But he was resurrected, and he's coming back soon for us. And I'm committed to that message. What about you? And so I want to echo Zechariah's song today, but I also want to allow others to echo it. And we have some individuals who'd like to make a commitment to Jesus in front of you here today. You'll find their names listed in the bulletin there. And so I'm going to invite, it says Helen, but I'm going to invite Juana forward. I know you go by Juana. And Linda and Ron, May and Betty. I'm going to grab this microphone over here. And you guys probably recognize these individuals I'm inviting forward. Some of them are making recommitments to Jesus through rebaptism today. Juana, we, we're so thankful you've been with us since Landmarks last year. Linda, thank you for coming. Um, and Betty and May, Ron. And some of these individuals are going to be joining by profession of faith because membership discrepancies somehow lost their membership. All right? They're up here. And so, Ron and Linda, that's where, where you're at. And then May and Betty are going to be rebaptized today. And so we want to congratulate you on your decision for Christ. And Juana, you want to be rebaptized today. So we want to congratulate you on that. And so I have three questions for you that kind of go along with what we were talking about in the sermon. First one is Do you see Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Yeah? All right. And the second one is Do you wish to order your life according to his teachings as revealed to you in the Word of God? All right. And the third question is. I'm looking for disciples. I'm looking for people who want to be a part of a movement, and I believe the Adventist Church is that movement. Do you want to be a part of this local Seventh-day Adventist Church to take this message to the world? All right. So I'm going to have prayer with you guys before we go to the back, and we're going to have prayer right now, and then we're going to go to the back and get ready for the baptisms. And we invite you as a congregation to sing some songs to prepare your heart to and say, Lord, what is my commitment to you this day? Father in heaven, thank you for each one here. Thank you for their commitment to you. Thank you for... Jesus, who led us down the path that we're taking here today in each one of these commitments. I pray, Lord, that you'll keep revealing yourself in beautiful ways to each one of us, but especially, Lord, in these commitments here today. We want to support them as a church family, and we want to accept them into our membership here today. And so we ask, Lord, that you'll lead us and guide us to minister to them and minister together for those outside of our flock as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you want to join me in welcoming them into your church today? All right. We're going to go get ready, and we invite Uriel to lead us in some songs as we prepare.
484, I need thee, precious Jesus. must tell Jesus, 485.
thankful that Jesus is right by your side to help us. The struggles of this life are intense, but Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 482. Seven, four. Take.
Looking forward to heaven. It can't come sooner. <laughs> the things about us point to dreadful times ahead. But if we stay focused, you know, last night I read it says, Our only safety is in being joined to Jesus Christ. If we are separated from Him, we can't resist the enemy. But if we are connected to Jesus, oh, we are safe. For God alone makes us dwell in safety. So if there's any family or friends who'd like to come closer for pictures during any of these baptisms, feel free to do that, okay? Of course, there's Jean. 
you know him a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting last year, one of our elder, a couple of our elders just said, why don't we just have Doug Batchelor's landmarks meetings here? And meanwhile, God was working in your heart for the last two years, uh, since you became a Christian two years ago. And somehow you received that flyer, mm -hmm. and you you were here, and it's like you've been here ever since. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to we're thankful the Lord put it on our hearts to, to do those meetings, and the elders were praying that the Lord would would just present Jesus in the right way through mm -hmm. those meetings. And so I want to thank the elders for their work, and also Jean was with me you know, during visits, and so we got to know oh, you yeah. pretty well. And Juana's a good cook, so we're really <laughs> grateful for just her smile and her hospitality. And the Lord has gifted you in, in ways that that uh, will be a blessing to us as well as us be a blessing to you. So I just thank Jesus for that. Yes. <laughs> so simply put, God's message has echoed down through time and touched your heart. And because of your love for him, your desire to follow him all your days and be a part of this church, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Well, you know there's rejoicing in heaven when one turns to Jesus. Let's sing 98, 98, can you count the stars? This is a little switch, but that's all right. 98, so if you pull the hymnal, just turn to 98 and we'll sing that. Can you count the stars that brightly twinkle in the night sky? Can you count the clouds so lightly, or the meadows floating by? God the Lord that marked their number, with his eyes that never slumber. He had made them every one, he had made them every one. There's a special song that May would like to have played at this time, and it's a recommitment song. And so if it applies to you, just listen to the words and take this song to be also for your hearts as well. To view the cross 
that Jesus died for me And how marvelous that grace that caught my falling soul He looked beyond my faults in some many Not for grace, my soul would be a drifting shape with no safe harbor from the angry waves. But Calvary's cross shines bright as through the darkest of storms, and just in Churches, I this has been the one that's had the most rebaptism requests I've seen, and we do have in our manual and in our writings of Ellen White that this idea of there there are recommitments that are appropriate, and so uh, the Lord has brought you through a journey, and all of us, there's the Holy Spirit's doing something here, to bring about this commitment here today, and so today maybe we'd like to recommit our heart to the Lord, and to be able to walk in the path of peace in a new way this day forward. And so I'm going to turn to this. Take your family and ready. May because of your love for the Lord, your desire to follow him all your days, down this path of peace, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you count the wings now flashing in the sunshine's golden light. Can you count the fishes splashing in the cooling waters bright? God the Lord
technology. It's been quite a journey to, to have you here today. And the Lord has led you years ago when you were baptized. And I know he's leading you today. And so because of your love for the Lord, and your desire to follow him all your days, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. seen here today is the promptings of the Holy Spirit, that still small voice that leads you in your daily life and sometimes an accumulation of experiences to say, this is the way walk you in it. And so that's what we've seen here today is different paths, different journeys, all leading them here to this place at this time saying, I want to recommit my heart to the Lord. And some of you have already done that. And some of you maybe have not committed your heart to the Lord at all. And that message of John the Baptist still applies today. Turn to Jesus, repent, and be baptized. And so if you've never been baptized, that call is still ringing out today. And I know because I, I couldn't get out of here unless he told, me, he told me just to say it one more time. If you have not been baptized, take that step in, that, in your journey. If you've been baptized, and maybe you've come to our church checking things out, and, and you've learned so much, and you say, you know what, Lord? Maybe I didn't even know what I was getting into. Maybe the commitment needs to be made again. Then let him lead you in that. And so I pray the Holy Spirit will lead and guide and thank you, Uriel, for leading us in those songs. 101, 101. Give it all 
Why does he preserve us? Because he's faithful. 100, great is thy faithfulness. God is great. 
There's none like him. You know, the enemy said, I will be like the most high. You know what he was doing when he said that? He was challenging the word of God. In Isaiah 44 and verse 6, God says, Beside me, there is no God. But he is saying, I will be like the most high. He did four things. He challenged the word of God. He misrepresented the word of God. He misinterpreted the word of God. Why? Because he wanted to destroy the word of God. And we have those four same things happening now. But what are we going to do? Are we going to hold fast to the word of God forever? O oh God, thy word is settled in heaven. God is judge. And God is righteous. God is holy. And God loves us immensely. That is why he gave Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. And the ultimate absolute intent of that verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that what? So that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we are heading to that place where we'll spend eternity with him. 451. Together, let us sweetly live. 451.
Probably what I'll do is I'll have prayer first. I'll have the elders have prayer for you first, and then I'll give you everything so you don't feel like you're juggling it uh, like we did last time. So I'm going to invite you over here so we have more room. And I'm going to ask for a couple of elders to pray. Alan, would you pray? And Sergio, would you pray this time? Let us pray. <coughs> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the for the sacrifice you've made for each one of us, Father. And uh, as a church and as a, our pastor, our leaders, we we commit these new members to your body, which is which is which is Christ, Father, to the body, which is the church, Father. We ask that you guide them, protect them, bless them, and speak to their hearts, Father, as we together keep looking into Jesus. The, fin the author and the finisher of our faith. In the sweet name of Jesus, we pray and thank you. Amen. Heavenly Father, important decisions have been made today. Important acts have taken place. These have decided to come into the faith by baptism and by profession of faith but their journey in this sense is just beginning. In this sense, they are just newborn babes. And we do pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit upon each and every one of their hearts, that they may grow up into the maturity of Christ Jesus, and that they may bring praise and honor and glory to your name is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, send the Holy Spirit upon each one in your way and in your time so that they can do the work you would have them to do while it is still day. For the night cometh when no man can work. And so bless each one here. Bless our elders team. Bless uh, those who have been teaching them in their classes and their small groups. And I pray, Lord, you'll bless their journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing song will be the same as our opening song, number 115. 
O come, O come, Emmanuel. Let's all invite Jesus into our lives again today. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.